0: Good morning everybody. Welcome to Acknowledge Dogs podcast. I am your host, Michael, owner and head trainer at matadorcanine.com. You can head over to matadorcanine.com and schedule a free consultation today. We can get you started doing some virtual online coaching for you and your dog. Build the strength and bond that you want and fix all those problem behaviors. Reach your goals at matadorcanine.com. So welcome to the episode today. We are going over reactive dogs. If you have a reactive dog, this will help you out. I'm not suggesting that it might. It will help you out, okay? If you do these things in order, if you make sure that you are efficiently working with your dog, then this will help you, okay? Now, the first thing we need to understand about reactive dogs is ourselves. okay? When our dogs become reactive, it becomes embarrassing, we get uh, flustered, we get angry, We get a whole bunch of these emotions and we need to put them aside for the moment, okay? So we need to determine what's going on, what is the scenario, how can I fix the problem right now that's in front of me? We don't want to be blaming our dog, we don't want to be blaming ourselves. What we need to do is fix the problem in front of us, which comes down to management. So if you're in the event where your dog is reactive and they're freaking out and they're panicking and they're carrying on, the best thing that you can do is create more distance. Hands down in you know in the moment where you don't know what to do, you don't know what's going on, just leave. As fast as you can, as simple as you can. Don't add any more to it. If you start saying things to your dog, it's going to throw them off, they're going to be confused. They might even start to pair those words with the action of leaving, which can be beneficial. But we don't want that in certain scenarios like fear or aggression or fear reactivity. So you don't want to get into a habit of that. But you do want to make sure that you can limit the exposure to these certain triggers, which we're going to go over later. So make sure in the event that you don't know what to do or you're in a real pickle, just leave as fast as you can. So let's go over three of the main types of reactivity. Number one, I kind of mentioned it already, is fear reactivity, it's fear aggression which we know if you've been listening to the podcast that fear aggression has a biological purpose of lessening or eliminating the fearful stimulus okay so it wants the fearful thing to lessen or completely go away that's the goal of fear aggression fear reactivity number two we have aggression now this just falls into any aggression and there's a whole bunch of different types of aggression we're going to go over all of them in a later podcast But regardless of which one it goes into, this system of solving reactivity is going to fix that, okay? As long as it's not a chemical imbalance or genetic problem that you would need medication to supplement, you should be able to use these tools, these steps to solve your dog's reactivity. And number three is overexcitement. So your dog is genuinely overexcited about seeing another dog. They really want to say hi. They want to play with them. The whole nine yards. Okay, so let's go over that again. Fearful reactivity, fearful aggression. That's the German Shepherd that snaps at other people and dogs because they don't want them getting close to them. That's the dog that doesn't like to play and doesn't like to being touched and, and gets spooked by another dog. It's the puppy that wasn't socialized because COVID-19 threw a wrench in everybody's dog training. Okay. Aggression could be any number of social aggression, territorial aggression, predatory aggression, any one of those. And then we have overexcitement. Your dog loves people and dogs way too much to care about anything else, right? So let's jump into it. How do we, how do we solve reactivity? Once we determine really what the root is, it all comes down to the same thing. So you could say, well, do I even know, need to know the root? and you'd be right. You, you probably don't need to know the root. Um, oftentimes we get stuck in this idea. Of, okay, well, why is the dog doing it? Why is the dog doing it? Why is the dog doing it? When really you can just see the behavior. Go, you know, this is a behavior I don't like. And I'm gonna teach an incompatible behavior to this. And that first behavior is gonna go away, right? Seems simple enough. Okay. So first thing we need to do is condition two different reinforcers. Why do I wanna condition two different reinforcers? One, I want to have one for food, and I want to have one for a toy. Let's go over the food first. The conditioned reinforcer for food is more flexible. We can give more treats in the same amount of time. You can increase the value of the treats depending on the training that you're doing. Most dogs are food motivated, and if they're not, just limiting their diet will make them food motivated, or finding hot dogs or cheese or commercially bought stuff. Right, so... Using food gives us a lot of flexibility. A lot, a lot of flexibility. And it's easier to administer to the dog than a toy. So we want to condition a very specific marker or a very specific reinforcer signal to food. That's going to typically be a clicker. It's just going to be a clicker. Now, the secret is to also condition a toy so you don't want to use the same marker, the same reinforcement signal for both. You want them to be separate. So you might use a clicker for food, and you could use a verbal, although it's not my favorite to use a verbal, but I could understand trying to hold too many things is going to be a problem. So you could use a verbal. You could say nice. You could say bravo. You could say good. I wouldn't say yes. But ideally, you would want something closer to a clicker. So my preference is a whistle. Again, it's difficult to kind of manage those things, so I understand not using a whistle. You could cheat by using a sound that already happened. So if it's a tennis ball, you could bounce the tennis ball and the sound that hits the ground, the tennis ball, right? The tennis ball hitting the ground becomes the signal. But there's some room for error there and I think a tennis ball would be too crazy. We want something that they can play with you. So whistle, Or use a verbal marker. Either or is completely fine. So once we've conditioned those, now we need to determine what our dog's working distance is from that trigger. So what you're basically going to do is you have a best friend, you have a roommate, you have a neighbor, you have a colleague, whatever. They stand a certain distance away. And I love doing this on a football field because you can really measure. Do this on a football field. get the person in the middle of the field. You just enter the field and you slowly start to work your way up the line of football markers until you get to a point where your dog reacts. This is just for statistical data. You wanna know how far you need to be away from the dog so that you can track your progress and be prepared in real life when you see the trigger. So you determine your working distance and you make a note of that. Now I want you to determine two other numbers. First, where can you stand and still have your dog listen really well? Okay. So if your dog can still do obedience, they can still do focus, they can still do all that at 45 feet, but they lose it at 40 feet, you know, your working level between 45 and 40 feet. Now you want to know what your past threshold level is. That means no amount of encouragement or rewards or coaxing will get your dog back. And that's going to probably be slightly, it's not going to be the difference between your working level and your obedience level. Okay, it would be slightly past your working level. So if in my example, 45 was your obedience level, 40 is your working level, it's like 38 is your freaking out level. You are right on the cusp, always. And you wanna stick around there, training, until the obedience level gets to 40, the working level gets to 35, and then your past threshold level is 33. And then you would do it again. So you'd say, okay, I'm gonna keep working in this realm until we slowly start to creep up. And now it's, okay, it's 35 working, I'm sorry, 35 obedience level 30 working level 20. And do you see what I mean? So yes, it's systematic, it's slow. But it's the most efficient way to fix your dog's reactivity. So now that we've determined our working distance, how do we actually work through this? Well, The first thing we want to do is mark and reward for our dog just staring at the other dog and I know that sounds counterintuitive. Why am I going to reward my dog for looking? We're not rewarding our dog for looking. We're rewarding our dog for not reacting. See, everybody wants to jump to, well, I want my dog to focus on me. I want my dog to focus on me and you are correct. They should be doing that. However, you don't have even close to that behavior yet. So why are you going to jump to the top of the stairs if you haven't even stepped on the first stair? Okay, you can't get to the top of the mountain until you take two steps, or put your backpack on, even, or get out of the tent in the morning. Right? That's what I'm talking about. You got to break it down to the beginning step. The first step: look at the dog and don't freak out. If you look at the dog or the trigger and you are freaking out, now we're even. We're going one step towards reactivity and, and not towards solving. So right. So if your dog looks at another dog and there's no time to waste. And they freak out. They react. The second they calm down, and I mean like they take a breath. Bark, bark, bark. <gasps> that breath mark reward. If they don't turn around, you are in your past working level. You're in your, your threshold broken level. You got to go back to your working level or your obedience level. Okay? So you look at the dog. You mark a reward for them looking at it. We are building a positive association in the case of fear or aggression. We're saying, hey, that thing equals good stuff. If it's a person, if it's a cat, if it's a dog, that thing over there equals a good time if you look at it. Now, this is what's going to happen. Okay, Your dog's going to do that a bunch of times. I'm going to say two to three sessions, and your session should be short. Everybody's like, oh, I'll do a, you know, a 45-minute session. No, that's too long. 10 minutes max five minutes would be ideal and then just do a bunch of short ones the best way that you could do this again go to a football field have somebody stand out in the middle of the field with the trigger you take your dog out of the car you do five minutes you set a timer the second they come out of the car the timer starts five minutes put him back into the car you wait five minutes okay bring it right That's just what you repeat over and over. Five minutes out, five minutes in. Five minutes out, five minutes in. Five minutes out, five minutes in. You might even want to do longer in so that your dog can calm down if your dog is really freaking out, especially if you just had a reactive episode. But your goal is to not let your dog get reactive. And I don't mean not let them get reactive as we'll punish them if they get reactive. I mean, it's your job to control their environment and this stimulus and the trigger and make sure that they are not reacting to the trigger. So now that they're feeling good about that thing, they're going, okay, whenever I look over there, I get positive reinforcement. I'm being classically conditioned to associate good things with that trigger. Now when I look over at that trigger, and I don't hear something in the time that I thought I should, I'm going to look back and be like, what the hell? Right? Is, is there something broken with the clicker? Is my human broken? I pressed the button and they haven't given me a, a treat, so what's going on, right? The button being looking at the trigger. I looked at the trigger, why haven't they clicked? So they look back, maybe not fully, but they glance and they're like, what? That's now your new moment to mark and reward. So we're starting to select the behaviors that we like and tailoring them towards us. I'm marking reward for you turning back. I'm marking reward for you turning back. I'm marking reward for... Right? And so that just keeps happening. And it becomes a self-redirection, which is one of my favorites. We are basically teaching the trigger as the new cue. I may repeat that. We are teaching the trigger as the new cue. The cue meaning turn, face me. Super simple. I love environmental cues. I love them. It Makes my life easier. It's clear to the dog because that's a language they understand already. Right? They're already being influenced by their environment. So I might as well tailor what they're being influenced to do. We're tailored by our environment constantly. Right? It's raining outside. That's a cue to put a coat on. Boom. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. Sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made download the free anchor app or go to anchor fm to get started. right red light green light those are cues to go and to stop. our environment tells us so much. and at first as a kid you don't know that red and green means go and stop. i was just watching curious george the other day with my son and hysterically enough george just thought that people liked the color green because they would stop I'm sorry, George thought that they liked the color red because they would stop and stare at it for a while. And if the light was green, people didn't really like green. So he had rearranged the stop sign so that everybody could see the color red and everybody could enjoy their favorite color, which seemed to be red. But that caused a whole bunch of problems and blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. So our environment gives us so many cues. But until we learn how to interpret those cues, they mean nothing. So instead of letting your dog decide how to interpret them, you have to decide how to interpret them. And then you just have to teach your dog what to interpret and what to do when they see those signals. So we are switching the trigger to mean look at mom and dad. Look at me. Look at whoever's holding your leash. Okay. So we've built positive associations with the thing that they don't like or freak out or react about. They're now starting to look back at us great. So now we have to work on duration. Usually with a reactive dog, the timing is critical. And this is where people run into a problem. You're counting either too fast or too slow. If your dog looks at you and you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that was not even a second. And you're thinking that you're going 10 seconds. You have to be realistic with it. You have to do one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. You have to break down the second even. Okay. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll do one mata door, two mata door, three mata door. Because now I know if I go one mata, I didn't finish the door. So, if you're a musician, that's a 1e e and a 2e and a 3e e and a 4e and a. All right, we're subdividing each second into smaller chunks that we can be more precise with. So, you might not be able to do 1, 2, but you can do 1e e and 1mada door, right? And so, you break the behavior down further and further and further until you get exactly what you want. You start to build up the duration. Again, slowly building it up, building it up, building it up, building it up. Very short sessions. And here's another point I want to make, which I didn't write down, so I'm going to go off a little tangent here. You have to rinse and repeat. Okay? You cannot stand there, have your dog do a wonderful self-redirection, wait for them to do something to ruin it, and then try again. That's not how it works. So this is what you do. You present the trigger. They turn, they look at you, reward, walk away. Present the trigger, turns it, look at you, reward, walk away. Why do we do this? If you Again, if you've listened to this podcast, I talked about it a little bit, the ABC triangle, antecedent behavior consequence. The antecedent, the stimulus, the trigger, The behavior is self-redirecting, and then the consequence, or the reward, is a treat. If you try to do reward, treat, reward, treat, reward, treat, it's not gonna work. It has to be antecedent, behavior, consequence. Stimulus, reward, reward, um, I'm sorry, stimulus, behavior, reward. That's how it has to go. So you have to walk up into your obedience and working space, have them recognize the trigger, have them do the behavior, reward them for doing the right thing. Okay, move on. Try again. What oftentimes happens is we get into a scenario where we're like, okay, well we're just standing here. They looked at the thing, I gave him a reward. They looked at the thing, I gave him a reward. And now we're just doing that back and forth back and forth this, it's too much. The longer your dog stays there and stares at this trigger, the more they're going to freak out. You can get to it, and we're going to get to it in a second with the variable reward schedule, but you have to start off building really strong habits. And we're teaching the dog in this case, when you see your trigger, it's not going to be there forever. But when you see it, look at me, and by the time you look back, it's going to be gone. Okay? Now, if at any point your dog does something exceptionally well, That's when you pull out the toy. So you can, well, if your dog's doing something exceptionally well, yes, absolutely pull out the toy. But also, if you get into a scenario where you have to keep your dog's attention for longer, use the toy. It's easier to play tug as you move away than it is to be a Pez dispenser and just keep rewarding and rewarding and rewarding and rewarding. So you play a tug a little bit, you start to move, start to move, keep playing tug, have them drop it, get them, play tug, 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 and now you're 50 feet away without them realizing. Okay, so let's jump back to the variable reward schedule here on my list. Variable reward schedule. That's going to come down into a couple different ways. Number one, through duration. So you can jump back and forth through duration. Let's say that they can do 30 seconds she so would do you'd train 30 seconds, 15 seconds, 45 seconds, 20 seconds, 35 seconds and you would just teeter back and forth varying, right, variable reward schedule varying the amount of time that they're doing a particular task. That's going to wean them off treats and that's going to extend the amount of time dramatically. So if you're teetering back and forth like that and originally they could do 30 seconds but you jump to 15 seconds and then 40 seconds now your new mean is 40. And you do okay, well, 40 and 30 and 50, right? And you just keep bouncing back and forth like that. That's a great way to quicken the process as well as wean off of treats. But you can also do it in response to looking at the trigger, but only as a conscious effort. Remember, I just mentioned how you have to do antecedent behavior consequence. In this case, we're still keeping the antecedent, which is the stimulus. We're just changing the mentality of it. It's looking at the thing. Okay, so they look at the trigger. They look back to you. They get a reward. Let's say they look right back to the trigger. They look back to you, and then they get a reward. So you might do something like this. Dog looks at the trigger. They look to you. Wonderful behavior. We still want to reward it, just not with our primary reinforcer. So you might say, good job, or you might talk to them, good boy, good girl, then they look back to the trigger, then they look back to you, and then that's when you mark a reward. So now we got them on a schedule of two. And they go, oh, so I got to look twice now. Again, you do not want to make this harder, just like with the duration, you'd go back and forth to sometimes make it easier. We don't want to make it consistently harder. If we're consistently making this harder, they're never going to want to keep doing it. Think about your job, right? You go to work every day, you put in the time, you put in the effort, and your boss says, great, we're going to give you a promotion. We're going to give you some money. You're like, oh, great. That's your reward, right? Eventually, come there, there comes a point where they're not going to give you any more money, but you're doing such a great job that they want you to handle this new project. So they give you this new project. And you did so excellent on that project that they think you can handle two projects. So they give you two projects. And that can sometimes keep building, and we forget that we're supposed to get a raise for the amount of work that we're doing, but because you're doing such a good job, they want you to keep doing it. It seems counterintuitive, but it happens all the time. People that do a good job should get rewarded, not punished for doing a good job. So sometimes go back to easier things. Make it a little easier. Surprise them, even. And then you could add another level on top of that with the toy. So let's say you're doing a three to one ratio and you're working your way to a variable reward schedule and every nine repetitions they get a toy. So they look, they look at you, they get a good boy. They look, they look at you, they get a good boy. They look, they look at you, they get a treat. They look, they look at you, they get a good boy. They look, they look at you, they get a good boy. They look, they look at you, they get a treat. They look... They look at you, they get a good boy, that happens one more time, and then finally they look, they look at you, boom, toy. That system gives them a jackpot. It takes them away from the scenario after quite a lot of looking and back and forth. You've now extended the amount of times they can look at their trigger without freaking out to nine. Okay, which is incredible. You rewarded them consistently. They know now every three repetitions they're going to get something and if they keep going eventually they're going to get a jackpot. Of course they have to like toys, so you have to work on that. (coughs) Excuse me. After you have get the behavior to a variable reward schedule, now you decrease distance. Which again, you can make easier or harder. So our original example of being 40 feet. Decrease distance to 35 feet Next repetition Increased distance to 30, uh, 45 feet That's going to help Make sure that the, again They don't feel stressed too long Or too often The more success you have The better the pattern Of reinforcement is The more success you have The better the pattern of reinforcement is So keep it easy Make it hard Keep it easy for two repetitions Make it hard Push your dog, but not past the point of reactivity. And the last thing for today's episode, the most critical part of whenever you're working with a reactive dog, this is critical here, okay? You need to control your dog's triggers. Whatever those triggers may be, you need to control them. If you're not controlling them and you're just letting your dog freak out, then training is useless. Think about going to the gym. No matter how many deadlifts you do, no matter how many bench presses you do, no matter how long you're on a treadmill, none of that will matter if every single day you eat a Big Mac. It's just not going to matter. Every day you got to put in the work, and every day you have to control what you're eating, what you're consuming, and it's the same with our dogs. You have to control what they're seeing, what they're perceiving. Accidents happen, sure, but we don't want to make a habit out of it. So you might have to close the blinds. You might not allow them in the backyard if you have fences where they can see other dogs. Definitely don't go to the dog park unless you plan on using them for training, which is a great target goal to have okay be able to stand outside the dog park without your dog reactive with dogs running around which is a whole different variable but control your dog's triggers to the point where you know everything that's going on in the environment dog trainers are great at this we know exactly what's going on we can see things all the time because we're constantly doing it so you might even just go for a walk without your dog bring a notebook or take notes out on your phone and just record things that happen. Okay, well, a guy stopped at the stoplight and he was on a bicycle and there was a squirrel that jumped across the street or whatever, right? Make a list of 20 things that you notice that your dog might become reactive to while out on a walk. And now you go, okay, whenever I see those things, I'm going to prepare myself and I'm going to start working with my dog. The second you notice, okay, there's probably a situation where my dog might react. You should have already been asking your dog for a sit or a down and see what their working level is. If they are usually responsive and now they're not, they're also noticing that trigger. They're also noticing that trigger and it might be too late. So turn around, walk away, move a distance from the the trigger and try to work again. The best thing you can do is work through a problem if you can't leave. Right? So I guess you could say the best thing to do is leave if you can't train. The second best thing you can do is to train right then and there and get through it. But don't jeopardize your dog's training because you don't want to move or because you really want this to work and you haven't been putting in the time and you don't know if it's going to work so you're just going to push it. Don't push it. Be conservative. Be conservative. Go easy on your dog and make sure that they can handle the scenario before you throw them into it. They are just as stressed as you are. Are you guys on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook? Well, so is Matador, so if you're not following Matador Canine, then you should be. We constantly post tips and other tricks that you can use to help your dog reach the goals that you want, as well as promotions all the time for online coaching and virtual training for you and your dog. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you think family or friends would benefit from what you heard today on Acknowledged Dogs, please share it with them. You can post it on Facebook. We are also on every social media platform, so make sure you tag us, Matador Canine. You can also head over to Matador Canine and schedule a free consultation to talk about coaching and reaching the goals with your dog and those problem behaviors. Reach the goals that you want and have the dog that always listens.